An art, a science. Valuations can be complex and mysterious, but at Bizval we just don't think that needs to be the case anymore. We believe that if you can answer a set of straightforward questions about your financial performance and the prospects of your business, then you can get an accurate estimation of the value of what you've built. For those who want an extra touch, our concierge service is still incredibly affordable and it gives you direct access to our expertise. Now in many cases our valuations cost less than 10% of what you would pay elsewhere for a professional services firm. And best of all, we usually get to a similar answer. Visit bizval.co where you'll quickly learn that we value your company. Welcome to another episode of the Bizval podcast with your host, The Finance Ghost, coming to you from my new house, which is echoing like mad. So my guest today, uh, Murray Clark, is having a good laugh at me because uh, I've got a pillow basically over the microphone here and he's accusing me of having a mid-morning sleep. Murray, um, I wish that was true. <laughs> Nine o'clock mid-morning sleeps are not good for finance. Uh, no, they are not good for finance. They are not very good for ghost productivity. But in this case, this pillow is very much anti-echo. I'm trying desperately to figure out how I'm going to manage that actually in this house, but I will figure it out. Anyway, this is the joys of entrepreneurship, Murray, which is something that I think you are uh, very, very familiar with, aren't you? Yes, I am indeed. It's been such a cool journey. Um, And yeah, super excited to be here with you and share anything I can help with in terms of knowledge and uh, tell you a little bit about us and about our journey and keen to jump into it. Yeah, fantastic. So before we get into what you're currently busy with, which is a really, really cool business, I'm excited actually about this. What were you doing before you decided to become an entrepreneur and make your life 100,000 times more difficult than it needed to be? (laughs) Man, I don't think that there was ever a point of time when I woke up one morning and I was like, I'm an entrepreneur. I think that naturally I've always been drawn to teams and to solving problems and to thinking about things differently. At school, I ran under 18 nightclubs, I rented buildings and subletted buildings, uh, sports clinics. I was always like the dude at the front of the metric dance after party collecting the 20 ran at the door. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that I, I, I knew exactly. Maybe entrepreneurship wasn't very cool back then. And, you know, I'm, now it's sort of a little bit cooler, I guess. But I've always been drawn to sort of creative problem solving i guess not not the cutthroat side of making money necessarily just like the fun aspect of helping solve problems um but have always from a very early age done weird and wonderful things that speak to entrepreneurship on one level or another i think the hustle is in you or it's not i remember in high school you saying that just makes me think i desperately wanted a playstation and my parents couldn't afford (laughs) one so i figured no i have to solve this And at the time, I used to play this unbelievably geeky card game called Magic the Gathering, which people might be familiar with. We'll see. Same company that makes Dungeons & Dragons. Anyway, long story short, I figured, well, if I could get a few people playing this thing and paying me for the cards, then, you know, a little bit of FOMO would kick in. Everyone would want them, and I could get the whole class playing. And I worked out if I could sell almost everyone a deck of cards because I knew where to buy them on the cheap. I would be able to afford my PlayStation. And sure enough, a month later, I had my PlayStation. So <laughs> I think it's just in your blood. Eh? There's Man, nothing you, you can do about it. You knew the shared economy before it was cool as well. And you, just, you, were, you were leveraging better unit economics at that time. Yes, network effects without <laughs> understanding the term. So um, Murray, has property always been in your blood? I mean, is, uh, and, and obviously we'll get to what you actually do now, which is why I'm asking that question. But has that always been yeah. a thing for you? 
I think for me, you know, everyone has some sort of inspiration, whether it's a, a mother figure, a father figure, a, a friend, uh, someone in business you look up to. And that, that for me was my late dad. And he was a bucky builder. So he, I, I had the good fortune of growing up around building sites um, and observing this man who was like this gentle giant of a human being. And so, yeah, I think by extension, I subconsciously wanted to sort of step into his footsteps, I guess. Um, and so property in one form or another, he was a builder. We sort of more creative, adaptive reuse specialists um, has always been in the blood. Um, and I love it with everything that I am. I wake up very excited every day. Yeah, that's fantastic. Look, you would be uh, damn proud of what you've done with your life. That much I can tell you. So maybe let's get on to that. Tell us about your current business. And it's a brand that people in Cape Town might know. They might have seen it. And if not, it's time to go check it out. Neighborgood uh, is a three-year journey now, almost three years in July. And it's the evolution of a number of iterations in really trying to understand what the future of the built environment should look like in in the most sustainable way possible with a view to try and leave the world a better place than we found it i think there's two schools of property entrepreneurs is like an older generation which is very much centered around project specific outcomes and building specific outcomes and finance really only and achieving that i think on our side we're looking at the macro and the micro and and, and making sure that whatever we do is the most sustainable way of running a sort of next generation property business. Neighborgood is a product that is designed for digital nomads and remote workers. Uh, Post COVID, you know, the world has come to, the way we consume space has changed significantly. I think it was coming for a long time. I don't think the, the new use of how we use space is necessarily just as a result of COVID. I think it was coming for way, way longer than before then. But if you look at you know, the level of vacancy in commercial office space um, and just generally how things have adapted. Um, it's been an interesting experience to watch how people change and use space differently. And so how we do it is we wrap up an all access digital passport to the city of Cape Town across, we have 10 buildings at the moment, uh, living and working spaces, co-living and working spaces underpinned by community, underpinned by events, activations. A lot of our values speak to warmth, kindness, like high levels of hospitality. Our core customers probably between 23 and 35 years old. Um, at the moment, most of them are coming from Holland, Germany, and visiting us from anything from one week to three months on average, staying up to six months, depending on whether their visa gets renewed or not. And it's really creating these like beautiful walkable neighborhoods um, where they are designed to advocate community. And yeah, we have 500 living space at the moment, 500 working spaces across 10 buildings. Uh, we're launching another five this this year in areas like Camps Bay, Greenpoint, Frunchuk, um, and a few others, Newlands. And it's all about adaptive reuse rather than building new. It's taking dysfunctional buildings, and there's a lot of them in the world, and making them functional again. And then rather than just looking at the four walls of physical assets, think about it as a brand, as an operation, as a product across an entire city, and connecting the golden thread across the city so that people can use all sites across the entire city rather than just one site uh, for one fee, essentially. And then hopefully, once again, you know, creating this space for people to meet each other. If you're single or you're traveling alone and you're coming from anywhere in the world, 
It's safe. It's a secure place to find friends, make friends. And it's more affordable than Airbnb. It's not as functional as Airbnb because you're finding sort of a group of people who share your value systems. Um, but it's not as cheap as a 12-month lease would be if you, if you had to rent it on, an, on sort of the open market. So we're somewhere in the middle, um, but you pay for flexibility um, as part of the product offering. It's such a cool business. I'll give a shout out to Mark Edwards. I'm sure he's going to listen to this. So he was running Tower Property Fund when it was a listed company, and he introduced us because you were a tenant at their building in Cape Quarter. I knew Mark from my corporate finance days. And, uh, you know, he said to me, Jesus is really, really smart young entrepreneur at Cape Quarter. You've got to meet this guy. And he was right. Um, and I think it's the way you, you think about property is just completely different, right? It's because property is very much this balance sheet, cash flows, steady cash flows. And then what ends up happening is listed property funds do a lot of financial engineering with the cash flows. It's less about the property and it's way more about the what you can do with the money. Now, obviously, you know, at a listed company level, the scale is enormous, but at the rate you're going, I wouldn't bet against Neighborhood getting to, to those sort of levels because, you know, just for people who maybe missed some of the nuances there, I mean, a big part of what you've done is you've gone and taken the sort of post-COVID zombie buildings, for want of a better description, office space that no one's going to use anymore, et cetera. I've been to a couple of your buildings and it's phenomenal. You know, you create these really cool co-living spaces and it's literally just a solution for someone coming from overseas where they know they're going to live somewhere safe they're going to work there they can eat there they can cook there they will make friends i mean you arrange excursions and tours don't you i see all your stuff on instagram table mountain Completely. all the time yeah i mean events and pro i mean think about the life of a digital nomad or a remote worker in fact just any transient young consumer who's living all over the world you're wanting living space you're wanting working space you're wanting a lifestyle city and you're wanting events, activations, and community. You want to be able to participate. You're thinking about health and wellness. You're thinking about all these sustainable themes that are just a function of living a, a better and a good life. And we've just wrapped that all up into a single brand and operation. We've focused on adaptive reuse, so taking assets for a number of reasons. It's more sustainable. The economics are better. It's faster, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then connected the dots across the city. So, you know, we are super excited about it, man. And I think just to talk to your question of scale, I think for us, you know, scale without reason doesn't make sense. I think that there's two schools of thought around, um, and it's definitely an ambition. So we definitely want to be in other lifestyle cities. Uh, we run sort of Propco, Opco metrics. So we are fairly agnostic to whether we acquire assets or the, whether we operate assets. It's really in the economics of the, of the specifics of the deal. But for us, we are property people first. Uh, and we are people people first. So often you'll see VCs investing in sort of prop tech plays or and it's all about growth 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 and we just want to have 300 flags and 300 cities for me it's about creating density and focus growth within lifestyle city so in game for us at a scale level at least as far as i can see it at the moment and this you know scale changes and ambition changes as we evolve as a team um, and as we grow as a team and as we learn more we'd rather have 30 to 50 buildings in the top 10 lifestyle cities in the world in each city so focus growth around density because the product speaks to a connected city offering for members the value proposition gets better for every location we open because you're, you're you essentially have access to those locations and all the benefits and amenities that come with it um rather than being all over the place um like a traditional hospitality company might look at the benefit at a at an economic level is that 
in repurposing assets, assuming we do what we do well, which is buying assets correctly and, and, and changing them to suit our model and creating net income upside through the process of that, is obviously that value gets taken to balance sheet and you can take an asset that you bought for 25 million rand and through creative reposition make it worth 40 much quicker than you can building new without the development risk um, if that makes sense yeah so that's at a model level and in an ideal we'll be looking at the us next um as a point of entry we sort of in a sort of a research time at the moment where we're looking at miami austin denver colorado a few other spaces which i think are interesting but like anything it's about being a great property entrepreneur first and making sure that we can buy assets at the right price um, because it's not just about growth for growth's sake. This, so often we see these these bigger companies or uh, startups um, just growing for the sake of growing and we need to make sure that at all times those unit economics and real unit economics at balance sheet level, not at opco level, are always moving the needle. You know, there's always a consistent 20 to 30% upside when we execute on deals. Um, it doesn't make sense to execute on deals at cost just for brand growth. I'd rather use the management company to do that, assuming they low risk deals. So yeah, it's just, it's a it's a really cool space to be in, man. I'm so excited about the future um, because I don't think any company has got the full connected city product offering right just yet. But the biggest challenge for us, I think we'll be entering a new city. I think we've got Cape Town under the belt and I think we'll continue to grow here sustainably um, but you know as you enter a new city in the bricks and mortar space at least it comes with its own challenges and understanding the environment which is why focused sustainable incremental growth is important and not jumping to every city quickly just looking at the next one or two building density then building a model that we can replicate then looking at others in town so let's talk funding quickly so you know you've got a whole lot of buildings here and you know we won't get into the details we're not going to give away your business here publicly but you know, it, it, I think you own a whole bunch of the buildings. You know, obviously there's there's always a lot of balance sheet management. As much as you have this very, very cool way of thinking about property, there are also the financial nuts and bolts. You know, long-term entering these new markets, et cetera, et cetera. How do you see this playing out? I know you've got some pretty cool ideas around how to fund this business long-term. You know, do you want this to be a listed company? I think you've got a, I think you've got something else in mind. Man, every person I know in the listed space always wants to delist their company. So my gut says no. I think keeping things private probably makes a lot more sense. But just leveraging shared economy principles, spoken like a true millennial. I think that the ideas, we, we funded everything with my own cash and one or two investors. I spent the better part of a decade building 25 odd convenient shopping centers where I was able to make some cash. So I've used it a lot of the cash that we made there in, in, in building sort of the half a billion portfolio that we've got at the moment. We own about eight of our 15 assets across the city. Uh, and we used gearing ratios of between 50 and 70%, depending on the deal. The other 30% is cash in by myself or cash in from an investor or two. We've had foreign investors, some really cool German guys who believed in the business early on um, and share our DNA and sort of love for entrepreneurship and the built environment. So they've been super supportive. And then moving into scale, we like the idea of sharing ownership with our community of investors and creating financial instruments of investment to create financial freedom for our broader community in discussions with a lot of our members who are nomads remote workers owning property is very difficult for them and bonds are a problem access to opportunities are a problem management is a problem access to a broad sort of hybrid portfolio doesn't really exist 
in the format that we presented in Cape Town. So we are building a, a co-ownership platform that we're going to launch in May, which essentially shares ownership with anything from 10 to 40, 50 investors. Uh, we're not going sort of the easy properties route or sort of the more fractional route where you can buy in at say 500 Rand, sort of minimum entry of about 100,000 Rand uh, for a number of reasons, and I won't go into those now. Um, but doing so helps create the same value that we would ordinarily do ourselves, but for our members in sort of a wrapped up management solution in the top lifestyle cities in the world. So you would be able to then own a portfolio of hybrid hospitality assets, which yield better than market. If multifamily in the US is at six, we would be at nine. If we're in, in South Africa and Cape Town, if, if yield is at seven, we need to be closer to 10, 11, depending on the deal. Uh, Greenpoint, Seapoint trades closer to seven to eight. So we want to be closer to sort of the eight and a half level there if we can, always generating some level of net asset value growth. And just a like really cool solution that takes the equity requirement for each asset and splits it amongst a series of investors. And most of our members earn anything between sort of 50,000 and 150,000 euros a year. So they do have access to check size of 100,000 Rand. So you could own anything from one fiftieth of the building right up to one half of the building in these awesome areas like Greenpoint, Seapoint in Cape Town, Camps Bay, Franchuk, Miami, Austin, hopefully other areas in Europe eventually when we get there. Um, and build this, this epic portfolio or collect these like spaces across the world, which you would also have use of at a discounted rate. And hopefully we can pay them down as fast as possible for you and generate cash flow. I must say, Mario, it's, it's, if anyone listening to this, I just want to be clear, like none of this is edited. Like that's just Mario articulating the dream literally as it comes out of him. You, you really do know what you're doing. You really do know what you want to do. There's no shortage of self-belief here, but at some point this must have been scary. It can't all have been smooth sailing. You know, do you Man. have any late night crying into your pillow memories <laughs> like the pillow in front of you now um <laughs> yes <laughs> you know it took we, there were two attempts of, of this in different versions before it was successful and both cost me cash i think one uh, in woodstock which i can speak openly about was a, a a concept that didn't work called good um and it's important to speak about things that don't work as much as things that do it work turned out to be bad yeah exactly it was <laughs> and um, unfortunately that, named uh, yeah, it was <laughs> terrible it's like a juxtaposition but the reality is for us what happened is that we stitched five i've always seen the future of space being this like integrated mixed use environment uh i had come from durban very wet behind the ears i thought woodstock is an area was this like up and coming area and i think i did one side visit and i was like this makes sense um and it was this sort of 2000 square meter basement of and we sort of constructed a food market a co-work space a bar a coffee shop a wellness studio and like very opex heavy mixed you space definitely the coolest space in the world if you had to come there but financially uh it didn't make sense it was too opex heavy woodstock carries a security risk so we got the area wrong so there were iterations of it that were unsuccessful before it became successful and lucky enough the last 15 attempts at it have all been successful but my view is if you can sort of retain anything above an 85 percent strike rate you're doing pretty good um, and so yeah. I have a few war wounds to prove it. And I don't have sleepless nights over it, man. We're not going to take our cash to the grave. Um, so it's just all as a function of learning in life. Yeah, it's a very good way to... No, it's a very good way to look at it. I always say to people, you know, whether you did something well or something badly, if you didn't learn anything, you've lost out. Even if it went well, like you can't tell me there's nothing you've learned. And if there's nothing you've learned, you need to think very hard about how you are approaching your life. <laughs> oh, man. Truly. I, I think for us, we learned... Uh, how important focus is and focusing on core. So for us, we just 
brought that right down to selling beds and workspaces. And even in that sense, people will say, why aren't you just selling beds? So we're sort of always adapting uh, the model to keep it more focused on core because you get one thing right over and over and again, you, you start becoming really good at it. And I think that's the focus that we've become. The challenge with the built environment is no, no physical space is the same. Uh, it, there's no cookie cutting approach to building sort of a hybrid connected of spaces across the city. And, and that's the, the pros. The pro to repositioning brownfield or existing buildings is that you can create value through it. And it's this like quirky space that carries a story, you know, and there's just like so much benefit for it outside of you know the whole carbon emission thing. The, the cons are that it's a lot harder design. You, you know, it's, it's not like you can design from scratch. You're having to deal with like a whole bunch of pre-existing things that that make it a lot harder to reposition so but yeah it's 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 our model and that's what we we know how to do well and to be honest man i'm uh, it's just the coolest thing in the world I, I, as i said it's like it's easy for us to uh, be positive about it because i've just seen it work so well over a two and a half year period economically socially environmentally like just in all possible levels um, and I'm excited about what that could look like in different contexts in different cities, assuming we can get it right. Yeah, it would be it would be incredible if it started from these humble beginnings in Cape Town, from a failed building in Woodstock. So my favorite poem in the world is um, Rudyard Kipling's If. And, you know, one of the lines in there is, is to the effect of if you can meet triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same. And it's a it's a very powerful statement. Uh, it really is. Yeah, you got to be very careful of triumph um, as much as you have to be careful of disaster because one can make you arrogant and one can mean you give up, you know. Anyway, I think uh, speaking of triumph and disaster, personal life takes a toll when you are doing a business. You can ask me that, I know. In your side, as far as I know, you've got a little one now. So how are you juggling? Because for reference, I mean, Murray, how old are you now? 37. Yeah, I mean, how's that for a lot achieved by 37? So you <laughs> now have a small Murray running around if he has one percent of your is it a boy or girl it's a little boy remember. his name is harrison and at the moment he's in worst buying his first asset <laughs> <laughs> if he's got one percent of the energy that you do he's probably at this point repurposed his cot and sold it you know to three other babies on a you know lease or on a, a mixed model. use deal anyway <laughs> how are you managing to juggle all of this because i think you also work with your wife don't you just yeah, for some added an assassin eh? she's our head of brand and she's just the level and quality of work that she puts out is like far passes anything I've ever dreamt of and, and certainly far, far greater than my own abilities for sure. So I think for us, um, yeah, people say don't work with family uh, and especially your partner. And for us, we work really well together. I think we very much in different spaces. She's in creative and uh, brand and design. I'm sort of more in growth and sort of strategic oversight and trying to sort of manage that. But I think, you know, we've realized that we only get one shot at this life, you know, and uh, without being too philosophical, like both of us want to make Harrison proud and um, both of us want to leave, uh, you know, something that is of substance, um, something that we're both proud of. And so the period of and I don't think, you know, whether you have children or not, uh, completely we need to be present with him at home and there's challenges we obviously have to like have help during the day you know we're from Durban we don't have our parents up here and stuff like that so it's all sort of um we have to do it ourselves I mean lucky we're living in Seapoint so we're super blessed in that sense like we we, we have a yeah such a cool life on the promenade every day um, I think for us it's just about making sure that when time 
uh, is at home, time is at home, uh, spent with Harrison and spent in the you know with each other, uh, and when work is work, it's hard because we tend to work late into the night, just like you do, I know. But we, we've got sort of a three to five year journey to go, and we've sort of just set our, our sights on making sure that um, we achieve it. Work life harmony for me makes a lot more sense than work life balance. Um, I don't think we are able to get balance right now, uh, but we can certainly find some level of uh, harmony as a process of sort of executing our vision over the next few years with, without having a cost on, on our little boy and our sort of personal lives. Yeah, no, listen, it's, uh, I have a lot of respect for that. It's not easy. And I think as well, when people don't own their own business, they kind of look at, because I think your lifestyle is not that different to mine. You know, it is, it's these crazy hours. They look at it and they go like, that's insane. Like, why would you ever do that? But reality is I get more of a kick from doing this than I do from watching most stuff on TV. You know, like, yes, I'll enjoy it. Obviously, I enjoy downtime. We all do. But I really enjoy doing this. You know, I don't sit and watch the clock and go, oh, no, you know, when is this over? Sometimes you do. Sometimes you have bad days. For sure. But mostly, you know, mostly you don't. And I must say, your branding is amazing. So massive kudos to uh, your wife she is uh, phenomenal yeah. and your branding is properly properly Thank good you, Mary. <laughs> so yeah. you better keep uh, keep being keep being nice to her uh, no i'm so <laughs> i'm trying my best every day man uh no she's awesome <laughs> honestly i'm super 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 lucky and uh um, she's amazing so Mary, maybe before we sign off i think this has been a very uplifting chat i would think for anyone listening to this i mean you are so on top of things what advice would you give to young entrepreneur that's the most cliche question mm. in the world but what would be your sort of what would you leave someone with you know from your own journey you know the whole uh thing about focusing on your passion obviously is is a non it's everyone knows that i think just being super open to learning from mentors and in a work or professional environment and making nothing so just learning just just finding ways to learn as much as possible whether you're reading books uh, whether you're working for someone as an intern, with, if, you are, if you are interested in building a career or an entrepreneurial journey in a specific instance, find the best people in that industry and just soak everything up you can for five years, honestly. And expect to make zero. Don't think you're going to make one cent. In fact, you're going to lose money and you're just going to have... But the reality is that whole 10,000 hour rule is so, so important. The reason why, you know, within our respective parts, we know finance and business as well as you do and property as much as I do, it's because we've lived it for 15, 20 years each and every day. And you can't bypass the first, you can't bypass the first five years. It's just not going to happen, you know. So you have to like spend time in the trenches learning and becoming an entrepreneur and like understanding your industry backwards and what you and then make sure obviously that you're leaning into your passion because it's not it's about doing both and being fine with not making a cent and and failing the first 10 times and the first 20 times until you eventually do it and hopefully if you're passionate enough and you've tried hard enough and you're disciplined enough you will eventually start making some form of successful outcomes um, and that's certainly been applicable to my own life so Get ready for the journey, man. It's a long one uh, and it can be painful at the best of times, like any sort of growth, but it's uh, definitely not an overnight, it's, it's definitely not an overnight one. Yeah, it's exceptional advice. I completely agree with that. That, that. that really is a great, great answer. And yeah, just specialize in something and take the time to actually get to that point where you know it inside out. I think that makes a 
world of sense, it is not easy and you need those skills in this world. I think increasingly with stuff like artificial intelligence, et cetera, et cetera, you know, being mediocre is just not going to cut it. No, man. So, you know, pick your passion, go for it, give it everything you've got. And I think the other point is the journey of wealth creation as an entrepreneur is not linear. So when you're working in corporate, you know, yes, you'll get a few promotions in your life, but generally speaking, you need to be thinking about stuff like your pension very early on, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, because you're probably going to just tick up from there. Whereas as an entrepreneur, it's wild, you know, and I know from my own experience, like, <laughs> I've been very lucky in the way it's worked out. It has worked out really well and it hasn't put me under huge financial stress. There's been lots and lots of personal stress along the mm. way. But the point is that hockey stick that businesses experience, entrepreneurs experience the same hockey stick in their own wealth creation. Mm. You know, depending what you're doing, to your point, you can go sideways for a few years and then suddenly it works and suddenly you think, sure, you know, how did I get this life? <laughs> I didn't have this three years ago. I didn't even have this a year ago. So it's, it's great advice. Completely it really man. is. You've got to be patient and you've got to focus on the skills because the money will come. Completely. If you focus too hard on the money early on, you're going to stunt yourself man. long term. Just get, jump right into the trenches and learn to love it. Yes, <laughs> exactly. So, Maria, I think as we sign off on this, uh, you know, the, obviously this is a Bizwell podcast and, you know, you're going to be doing evaluation of Neighborhood with us. You've chosen to go the concierge route with us, which means we, you know, give it that extra bit of TLC, that extra bit of attention and actually have a proper look at the sort of financials. It's not just the online tool. The online tool certainly works, but obviously the concierge is another layer of, of care and involvement there. So thank you for that. Pleasure, Maybe last question before we go. Why are you doing that? What is the value of knowing your value? We, we, we need to get a good understanding of where we are right now because we're about to go through a Series A funding round. Um, and I'm just trying to get a better understanding of valuation relative to industry, uh, which offers more depth than just sort of Google desktop uh, stuff. We need, we need to be able to motivate uh, the, our value and we need to be able to know ourselves. And also, we're trying to put together a roadmap of what value looks like in five, ten years time. So you need to start with what, where we are now, build a solution and a, and, and, a, and a roadmap to what the next year looks like, what the next five years look like, what the next ten years look like. And just like coming to grips with where we are at the moment, both at a balance sheet and an operational cash flow level, uh, it's just super important. So we just want to try and get under the belt uh, as soon as possible. But, you know, benchmarked against industry-specific content, hospitality, property. Uh, th this whole property, hybrid property space is moving. Uh, and it's sort of very new to the whole world. So it's going to be an interesting exercise because how, how do you benchmark something that's fairly new? Um, but super important for us. So we need to, we're going to definitely jump in um, and hopefully in a month or two realize that we... Right, right up there with the best of them, otherwise at least on the way to getting there. Yeah, and the benchmarking is such an important point, you know. I mean, if there's one thing the pandemic taught us is you've got to always be careful looking at the value of a business based on what all the other ones are potentially selling for at that point in time. You know, at the end of the day, finance is actually, I remember someone when I decided articles at one of the banks, um, maybe I won't give it away. And um, <laughs> one of the very senior sort of risk officers there once said to me, you know, finance is literally just a series of cash flows. And it's actually, it's such an oversimplification, but it's also not, you know, it doesn't matter what business you have. It doesn't matter how you make your money. It doesn't matter what you do at the end of the day. If there's no cash, there's no business. And depending on what you do is going to affect the discount rate that people, you know, which is the return that people want on that cash. It is literally that 
simple. And the world yeah. forgot that during the pandemic. They all went and invested in anything they could get their hands on because the money was basically free. They just literally bought call options, essentially, on a whole bunch of tech businesses. And, and look at where we yeah. are today. You know, if you bought Zoom, etc. at the height, I mean, you've lost a ton of money. So, if yeah, I it's going to be fun. can draw a parallel to, to properties, I mean, it's the same thing, man. You can't hide. The cash flow is the cash flow. So it doesn't matter what you paying for the asset or like if the cash flow is not there and you can't keep your arrears down and you can't collect the net income you say you're going to collect the value is compromised so there's very i mean in, in my world which is very much brick and mortar valuation like there's heaps of parallels to that you can't you can't uh, try and make sort of a swan out of an ugly duckling if it's an ugly duckling it will remain an ugly duckling <laughs> if, if the cash flow is not there <laughs> yep 100 percent. mario i think let's leave it there for those who are listening to this and thinking you know they either want to learn more or maybe someone wants to chat to you about potential deals i mean you, you are such a dynamic guy i think anyone listening to this may want to you know if they've got business opportunity stuff you might be interested in hearing about like what is the best way to connect with you is it linkedin is it twitter is it through the neighborhood website what is the story so you can visit our website at www.neighborgood.co.za or just shoot me a direct email at murray at neighborgood.co.za and uh, I do my best to respond within a reasonable time. Um, but always keen to collaborate, always keen to grow, always keen to make contacts um, and yeah, always keen to help if we can, if we've, got, if we've got the capacity. So if you are a small business owner and you're just looking for some advice, um, always keen to try and find a way to help if we can, man. I know it's been a journey for myself. So if anyone's on the same journey, if I can impart any knowledge, I'm around within the capacity that I've got. Amazing. Murray, thank you so much for your time. It's really been an absolute thank pleasure. You. Take the man up on that offer if you would like to. And uh, I look forward to seeing the growth of Neighborhood. We look forward to doing the valuation of the business. And obviously for those who are sitting in a similar situation where they want to know their value, you know where to find us at Biswell. Reach out to us and uh, let's get you valued. Let's help you find out what your business is sitting on and how to take it to where you want to be. That's what we do. Murray, good luck. Keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a fabulous thank job. You. And thank you for your time. Thank you so much.